Morning. Happy Sabbath. I hope all is well with you. It's good to be back in the Fox Valley Church, which is like two miles from my house. But uh, I always tend to be running up to New London and uh, helping to serve up there. The story is told, and you've probably heard it, uh, kind of a legend from India about these six blind men. Now, they thought they were pretty sharp. They thought they were, uh, they were pretty in touch with what was going on around them, even though they couldn't see. And one day, an elephant strolled into town, and they could hear the elephant. They could hear the sounds of the elephant, and they could smell the elephant, but they couldn't see the elephant, and they had never encountered an elephant before. So they went out to encounter the elephant and find out what an elephant is like. And so the first blind man goes out there and he reaches out and he touches a tusk of the elephant. And he says, aha, an elephant is like a spear. And the next fellow reached out and he touched the trunk. And he said, no, it's not. An elephant is like a big fat snake. And then the third man reached out, and he grabbed an ear, and he said, you're both wrong. It's, elephant is like a fan. It's like a fan. Fourth man walks up, and he puts his hands out, and he's just right on the side of the elephant there, and just feels him broadside. He's feeling around there, and he says, no, you're you're all wrong. An elephant is like a wall. And the next man comes up and encounters a leg feels the leg, reaches around the leg. He says, no, an elephant is like a tree. Elephant is like a tree. The last one gets the tail. And he's got the tail and he says, all of you are wrong. An elephant clearly is like a rope. And they argued with each other. It's like a rope. No, it's like a fan. No, it's like a spear. No, it's like a tree. And on and on they went, this little uh, uh, assembly of blind men walking down the street, arguing with each other about what an elephant really is like. And they encounter this young girl, and she's listening to them, and she hears them saying, and they're all describing this thing, and she says, wait a minute, I know what you're talking about. Each one of you is right, but you're all wrong. Their description of an elephant, based on what they encountered. When we uh, run citizens' academies, or at least when we ran them at Appleton, we ran a citizens' academy for people to come in and learn a little bit about law enforcement. One of the things we would do is we would put them in an indoor range, and down at the end of the range it would be dark. And then we would flip on the lights for two seconds, and a crime would occur that we staged, and then the lights would go back off. And we would ask them, what did you see? And someone might say, well, I saw a man in an orange shirt arguing with a woman in a blue shirt, And he raised what appeared to be a hammer, and then the lights went out. And the other person, another person who saw it said, no, the man was wearing the blue shirt, and the woman was wearing the orange shirt, and he had a stick in his hand. It wasn't a hammer. And a third person might say, well, while they were arguing, there was a third person standing back in the corner that was watching the whole thing, and neither of the first two people even saw that, because we all get different perspectives when we see something happen. Just like these blind men as they were uh, encountering an elephant. And you know the Bible is that way too. The Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First-hand accounts from four disciples who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus, who were witnesses to his miracles, who heard what he had to say, 
who saw the impact on the people, but they all had different perspective. And they don't read exactly the same. Each one is talking from his own perspective. You know that in the miracles of Jesus, you can think of many, many miracles that Jesus did. There is only one, in the whole Bible, there's only one miracle that all four gospel writers mention. Only one. You got your hand up. You know what it is? No. That one's not mentioned in every... I'm going to give it to you. It was when he fed the 5,000. When he fed the 5,000, that's mentioned in every one of the Gospels. But that's the only... That's the only miracle that is mentioned in all four. You have to read all four Gospels and piece everything together. It's like a mosaic. You ever see a picture, a big picture that's done with like the little colored tiles or something like that? All those little pieces go together, all those different colors, to give you the great depth of the picture. Have you ever been printing out on your home computer, printing out a picture or something like that, and you run out of one color of ink? But it still prints out a nice picture. It just looks awful, right? You're missing something. You need that other color. You, it adds the perspective. It adds, it adds that final tone that brings the whole picture together. Did you ever wonder what it would be like? Think of your own family. Husband, wife, children, your siblings. However you want to think of your family that group of a half dozen or a dozen people that are closest to you. Can you imagine what your family dynamics would be like? What it would be like to go through your life if one, anyone, pick any one of those persons was never born? How different would your life be if one of those persons was never born? I have five children. I can't imagine not having every one of those five children. Cade, my oldest, who's with us today, it would, life would be completely different if we had never had Cade. Kenan, who's over in Okinawa in the military, life would be so different. Our, our, our family dynamics would seem hollow without any one of them. My daughter? I need a daughter. I need a daughter. I must have sanity. What if, what if we didn't have the book of John? What if John, the disciple, what if it was the 11 disciples? What would that family have been like? What would it be like for us today? What would be life without John? Well, let's go there a little bit today and explore that. But first, who is John? Let's talk a little bit about who this fellow was. We know that he has a brother named James, right? He's the son of Zebedee. His mother's name is one of the few people we know the mother of. His mother's name is Salome or Salome. And he is also, in addition to being referred to as the sons of Zebedee, they were also referred to as the sons of thunder. Now, what does that mean to you? A pacifist? Uh, I, I, I get the idea. This is a fellow who has angry outbursts, who is more likely to settle accounts with his fists than with his mind. Quick to react. Sons of thunder. Loud, angry young men. He wrote five books for us. We have the Gospel of John. We have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, his letters. And we have the book of Revelation. So he's a pretty prolific writer for us in the New Testament. He also refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Interesting. We'll talk a little bit about that later. 
But John, as a writer, as a gospel writer, gives us a perspective that none of the other gospel writers, each gospel writer sort of has their own unique way of writing and the way they present the gospel story. And John very definitely has a unique approach. He talks about things in his writings, in his gospel, that the other gospel writers do not talk about. He talks about quite a few things that the other ones do not talk about. The first one he mentions is the very first miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. That is not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It is only mentioned in the book of John. But that's a pretty significant event. We recognize that as Jesus' first miracle. He takes what is common and he makes it really special. He takes water and he turns it into wine. Someone made a great southern gospel song about that. He turned my water into wine. Anybody know that song? Only me? Okay, Tony, thank you. It's a great song. It's a very powerful song. And, and John is like that. When he writes these stories, he gives us insights. He sees things in the life of Christ that the other gospel writers chose not to write about. John did because, I think, they are emotive. They are heartfelt things. John is a feeler not just a thinker, he feels things in the heart. I refer to him as the David of the New Testament. You read through Psalms, you read through Psalms, and, and uh, I, I defy you to read through there and not say to yourself about 20 times or more as you're reading through, there's a song about that. I know that song. Because the, the, the Psalms just lend themselves, the poetic language, they lend themselves so well to creating music. And John's writings do the same thing, especially in the Gospel of John. So, someone wrote this song, he turned my water into wine. He took the common and he made it special. The next one that he tells, the next story that he tells, the account that he gives that nobody else gives in the Gospels, is the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. Now remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's in the in crowd, but he feels empty. He's an insider, but he feels empty. And so Jesus has these words with him. And the discussion that he has with Nicodemus is significant in your faith. Very significant in your faith. He says, unless, unless a man be born again. And we don't have that account in any of the other gospel stories, only in John's. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter in the kingdom of heaven. So that's a pretty significant story. From there, I think it's the very next chapter, he tells the story of crossing through Samaria and he stops at a well. And a woman comes and he asks for a drink of water story is not included in any of the other Gospels. Only John wrote about this. Stuff from the heart. He, he understands what this means to the woman, to the Samaritans, and to people who feel similarly situated. And he tells that story. Now, Nicodemus was an insider who felt empty. The woman at the well was an outsider who felt empty. So in the first miracle, he takes the common and makes it special. In the, 
when he deals with Nicodemus, he takes an insider who feels empty, and he fills him. Then he, at the woman of the well, he takes an outsider who feels empty, and he fills her, and he talks about living water. Living water. We don't have that description from anywhere else in the Bible, from anywhere else in the gospel writers. The only living water discussion that we have is what John tells us from the woman at the well. And that has spawned many songs, has it not? Living water. Tell me if this is familiar to you. Mic me up if you can here. You said you'd come and share all my sorrow. You said you'd be there for all my tomorrows. I came so close to sending you away. But just like you promised, you came there to stay. I just had to pray. I know you know this. Sing it along with me. And Jesus said, come to the water. Stand by my side. I know you are thirsty. You won't be denied. I felt every teardrop. When in darkness you cry, and I'm here to remind you that for those tears I died. Is that not a powerful song? And that's just one of many that John has given us because he has given us that full mosaic. He has given us that rich and deep picture that we don't get from the other gospel writers. But that's not all. There are seven of these that he goes through that I think are significant that he fleshes out and makes real to us in a special way, in an emotive way, that the other gospel writers didn't talk about. Seven of them. The miracle at Cana, Nicodemus, the woman at the well. The next one he talks about is the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Remember that powerful story? Take up your bed and walk. Boy, that means a lot to you, doesn't it? Stories and songs, again, told from that. Take up your bed and walk. Here you have a man who says, Jesus even asked him, what are you doing here? He said, well, I, the water, you know, the rippling, the angel touches the rippling. I could go and be healed. But I'm lame. The water's over there. And if the water ripples, I can't get to it. I'm, it's hopeless. You know, I mean, there's hope that I could be healed, but I can't get to the hope, so I'm hopeless. And, of course, Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. What a powerful story. What a powerful story. G uh, John moves on from that story, and he gives the account of the man born blind that encounters Jesus. I love the story. There's a, there's a lot of great... Uh, there's a lot of great interplay in this story. He, uh, he heals this man who was born blind. And the Pharisees get kind of cranked up about that because he does it on the Sabbath, right? So the Pharisees, are at, he asked, they asked the man, well, who is this guy? You know, and he, uh, he gives them as much of an answer as he can. And then they go to the parents because they don't like his answer. So they go to the parents and are asking the parents. And parents say, well, 
he's the one that was healed, and he's an adult. Ask him. Yeah, he's their son, and he was born blind, but ask him. So then the Pharisees go back to him again, and they're really working on him. They're trying to get him to say certain things, and they say, and they say well, is this man a sinner? He says, look, I, I don't know if he's a sinner. There's great, and in great, great brevity and conciseness, he says, here's what I know. I was blind. Now I see. Six words. I was blind. Now I see. Is that not a great testament to the power of God? I was blind, now I see. Perhaps the greatest proof when we look around us, when people are looking for proof of God, when people are looking, is can you show me that Jesus really is, is alive? Look at lives that are changed. Figuratively, people who are blind and now they see. Figuratively, people who are lame and now they walk. People who are hopeless and now are hopeful. People who are helpless and now feel empowered. That's great proof of the power of God working in people's lives. And speaking of songs, I was blind, now I see. Can you imagine singing Amazing Grace without that verse? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. And thanks to the Gospel of John, was blind. Now I see. Well, he doesn't stop there. That's five of them. He's got the hopeless man who can't walk. He's got the helpless man who can't see. Can you imagine being any more helpless than a blind man in those days? They didn't have seeing eye dog. They didn't have red and white canes. They didn't have Braille printed on the outside of the bathroom door. It's just hard for me to understand or to imagine somebody who was in a more helpless situation, completely reliant upon somebody else than a blind person living back in those days. How very, very difficult that must have been and how absolutely helpless he must have felt. The next story that John tells gives a first-hand account for uh, in great detail is the story of the woman caught in adultery. You know that story well. You know that's not in any of the other Gospels. John's the only one that accounts for it. But what an insightful description of the love of Jesus. As he takes this woman and they cast her down at, the, at his feet and they talk about the law and she needs to be stoned. And what do you say, teacher? Smart guy? And he just quietly bends down. I love this description. John is so good at giving us that emotive description. He just bends down and starts writing in the dirt. All gets very quiet as they see him writing out the names of sins on the ground. And then he says, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. What a great story. I mean, he didn't say stone her, and he didn't say don't stone her. He neither affirmed nor contradicted their law. He simply said, let he who is without guilt 
cast the first stone. And everyone convicted in their own heart, one by one, turns and walks away. And he grabs her in his love and says, where's your accuser? She says, there are none. He says, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. She was as guilty as they come. Caught in the act. Brought right to the, to the crowd to be judged, to be sentenced, to be persecuted, prosecuted. Guilty. And still accessible to Jesus. Well, there's one more. One more account that only John talks about. And that is when his friend Lazarus died. That account is not told in any of the other Gospels, but John goes into great detail, setting up how it goes, how Jesus is away. He says Lazarus sleeps, and he tells him plainly he's dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that he died, that I wasn't there, because he knows he's going to perform this great miracle. He's going to raise someone from the dead. But just before it, he sees everybody's anguish. And John writes the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Why? Because he was afraid he wouldn't be able to raise Lazarus from the dead? Because he feels our pain. Jesus is so in touch with the brokenhearted. Those are the seven major stories that John gives an account of that nobody else does. But he also talks about names used by Jesus that are not caught in the other Gospels. When Jesus says, I'm the living water, that's from John. When Jesus says, I'm the bread from heaven, that's from John. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, that's from John. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I am the vine. And most profoundly, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am from the Gospel of John. Think about some of the verses that are foundational to your faith, that encourage you. We know from John, certainly John 3.16, as he's responding to Nicodemus. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. John 14, 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And in his letters in 1 John 1.19, for if we are faithful to confess our sins, or if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Uh, let us love one another, for everyone who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. God is love. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, from 3 John. And then we have the book of Revelation. What would our view of heaven be like? without John's glimpses of heaven and sharing that with us, trying to give us a foretaste. But as important as all that is, I don't think any of those things are as important as this. John says he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you ever wrestle with that? The I always read that as... <clears throat> Uh, the number one disciple, the preferred disciple, the arrogant disciple, the proudful disciple.
But the more and more I read John and I understand his perspective and how he writes emotively from the heart, I understand that this wasn't arrogance that he was talking about and this wasn't pride that he was talking about. He was not self-promoting. He understands he is a son of thunder. He is an angry, prone to be loud, prone to be quick, prone to be very sinful. And he tells these stories of how Jesus takes the common and makes it special. How he takes an empty insider and fills him. He takes an empty outsider and fills, fills her. He takes the person who's hopeless and gives them hope. He takes the person who's helpless and gives them help. He takes the brokenhearted, cries with them, feels their pain, and gives them encouragement. He gives water to the thirsty. He gives bread from heaven to the hungry. He helps the lost, because he's the good shepherd. He's the light of, to the wor- light of the world to those in darkness. He is the vine to those who feel disconnected. John describes all of that, that Jesus, that the love of Jesus reaches you wherever you are. No matter what's your condition, no matter how common, no matter how lost, no matter how much of an outsider you feel, the love of Jesus reaches you. So when John says... The disciple whom Jesus loved. Here's how I read that. The disciple. I'm going to fall to my knees because I can't believe this. But in my unworthiness, in my wretchedness, in my thunder, in my hopelessness and helplessness, he loves me. The least deserving of all, the wretch of all his disciples, he loves me. Wow. And John's descriptions are there for us. You can read Matthew. He'll give you great commentary like a documentary on the life of Christ and talking about how he fulfilled all of these Old Testament prophecies. You can read Mark which is very concise and put together and very chronological. You can read Luke, who's a great historian, but John speaks from the heart. And he reaches out and he makes Jesus real to you, whether you're a lost sheep or you feel like you're wandering in darkness or you feel like you're starving and thirsting for something or you feel like an outsider or you feel like an insider but you're empty or you're hopeless or you're helpless, you feel guilty, you feel brokenhearted. He reaches you. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, especially the book of John, tells me I'm not too far gone. Well, that's what John is about, letting us know that we're not too far gone. Whatever your situation Read John, you'll find a story you can relate to. Jesus used him in a powerful way to reach the hearts of all of the people that he wants to be his disciple. I see a bunch of them in the room this morning. People that God wants to be his disciple. He wants you to be the disciple that Jesus. Mighty God in heaven, 
What a powerful concept it is to think that you gave us Jesus, your son. And yet even more than that, how he came to us in love willingly. And no matter where we are in life, whatever our station, whatever our situation, whatever chapter in our history, in the book of our life that we're in, from the darkest to the brightest, from the most dismal to the most hopeful, Jesus is there reaching for us, arm around us, helping and encouraging and giving us his love. Father, help us to remember that. As we part from here, we will go through different pathways, different parts of our journey, some that are very shadowed. And we will have the opportunity to witness to others who are going through those shadowy times and those difficult times, broken-hearted times, people who feel like they're outsiders. Father, help us to be able to take, as John did, the real person of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the acceptance, the willingness, the love of Jesus to everyone we come in contact with. And Father, help us all to be able to claim the title, Disciple, whom Jesus loved. In his name we pray. Amen.